Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Live from Liverpool, the dark paranormal, season four. Welcome back, and thank you for joining me for episode three of season four of the dark paranormal. I can see that we've got quite a number of new listeners, so firstly, hello, and secondly, allow me to reiterate how we work here. So the seasons alternate between true listener paranormal experiences and then more famous cases. We're currently in the midst of season four, which finds us once again looking at some of the more famous cases from around the world. And following last week's episode, The Haunting of Bill Vale, I'd like to give a big thank you to everyone who got in touch to say how much they like the show. That really means a lot. In fact, it's why we keep going. In case you haven't noticed by now, I am carrying a small cold, so hopefully it won't impact today's story too much. Because today's story, we're going to take a look at a case which has been called the Enfield Poltergeist's Little Brother, a very famous poltergeist case from the north of England, and an experience which is now quite widely known, largely thanks to podcasts such as this, but one that is yet to reach the heights of his southern relative. But before we take a trip to the town of Pontefract, I need to firstly thank everybody who supported the show, be that through Patreon or any other method. You can sign up to our Patreon to support the show at patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal. When you do so, not only do you receive these episodes earlier than everyone else, you also receive a weekly Patreon only show called Dark Bites. And this Sunday's Dark Bites episode is sure to be a cracker. And so, a big Dark Paranormal thank you to Angela, Julianne Zeisma, Omen Obscurum, Martina McShane, Katie Adamson, Kim Myers, Ryan Challen, Amber Mook, Cody Dunn, 
and Jess Childers. Thank you very much, guys. I hope you enjoy the early releases and the extra Patreon shows just for you. If you wish to sign up to support, go to patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal. Now, this is a question that we tend to ask quite often on the dark paranormal. But what do you do when your world as you know it is flipped upside down due to paranormal activity? And this time, the people who need to find that answer are the Pritchard family from Pontefract in England. So make yourself comfy, turn the lights down, leave your disbelief at the door, and join me as we take a look at the Black Monk of Pontefract. Northern England, 1966. The national football team have just celebrated winning the World Cup and there's a sense of both change and optimism in the air. None so more than in the household of Joe and Jean Pritchard. Joe pulls up outside a semi-detached house. This is us, he says, ratcheting up the handbrake and looking across his wife Jean's lap through the window. What do you think, kids? In the back of their car, the children, Philip, age 15, and Diane, age 12, are both unhappy with being uprooted from their old school and social circles, and they mumble something about it looking okay. Oh, well, with that level of excitement, I'm sure you're going to love her here, Jean sarcastically replied, unbuckling her seatbelt and turning to get a full view of their new home. Number 30, East Drive, Pontefract. I just don't want to go, shouted Philip, much to his mother's despair. Can't I just stay here and get used to the place? Maybe it could make a mate or two? His mother, Jean, in truth, empathised with her son. They'd only been in the house just over a week, and now they're all piling back into the car to make the most of the recent heatwave and head off down to Devon for a break over the bank holiday weekend. Truth be told, Jean herself wasn't relishing the idea of a six-hour car journey especially in the stifling heat. And so, she agreed that Philip could stay in the house, whilst she, Joe and Diane would head off for the holiday. However, this was on the proviso that Philip's grandmother, Sarah, stayed in the house too whilst they were away. With an agreement reached, the Pritchards, minus Philip, drove away that evening after making sure Philip's grandmother, Sarah, was settled and comfortable. Sarah set Philip a curfew of 8pm before taking her knitting out and continuing on a pattern that she was working on. She looked around the living room as the needles continued to click away. She liked this house. She liked that things were looking up for the family. New houses, weekends away. For Sarah, who worked continuously to keep her family fed during the air raids of World War II, this felt finally like good fortune was... Sarah dropped her knitting into her lap. A cold breeze licked at her cheeks, making her shiver and grip her light cardigan together. She stood up and looked around. Where on earth did that draft come from? It was a dusky warm evening outside, and she simply couldn't fathom where such an icy blast could have originated. As the temperature in the room reverted back to warmth, 
she slowly made her way back to her chair. Another door slamming made her jump, but this time it was just Philip returning from playing outside. Hi Nan, he said, out of breath from running home to make his curfew. Two minutes to spare, he panted with a smile pointing at the clock before heading out into the kitchen. Philip, can you check all those windows are shut out there? Sarah shouted through as Philip poured himself a glass of water. Philip glanced around. Yeah, they're all closed, he said, walking back into the living room. Philip stopped as he entered. What's that? Sarah followed Philip's eyes to where they were looking. In front of their eyes, a fine white powder was falling to the floor. Sarah stood up and looked at the ceiling, expecting to find the material to be coming from a life fixture or such, especially as the Pritchards had decorated shortly after moving in. But no, the strange powder seemed to be falling from head height, as if materialising out of nowhere. Philip, go over the road and fetch your Aunt Marie. Philip nodded, still transfixed by the falling dust. Moments later, he returned with his Aunt Marie. And it's not just plaster falling from the ceiling, asked Marie, as she looked at the layer of white powder on the carpet. No, said an excited Sarah. It stopped just before you came in. It was falling from about here, wasn't it, Philip? said Sarah, raising her hand a few inches above her own head. Well, let's get it cleaned up either way, said Marie. Jean will go mad if her new carpet's filthy when she gets back. So she headed out to the kitchen. Suddenly, there was a small yelp from the kitchen. And on arriving there, Sarah and Philip found Marie flat on her back. Christ, she said, rubbing her side. I've just slipped on that bloody pool of water there. Sarah glanced over and could see a small pool of water had formed in the kitchen. A quick investigation didn't find a source. There was no water leading to or from the puddle. It was as if it had just appeared. They mopped up the puddle and vacuumed the dust from the carpet. Are you okay, Mum? asked Marie. But Sarah wasn't okay. The initial feeling of the house being a good family home had been yanked out of her brain and replaced with a feeling of fear and intimidation. That evening, after an hour or so knitting with Philip asleep in bed, Sarah had relaxed somewhat and decided to call it a day. Going around turning each individual plug off, she reached the darkened kitchen and walked over to pull down the window blinds. Her foot immediately was wet. She turned on the light and found five identically sized pools of water that had appeared in the previously dry kitchen. She quickly recounted what journeys had been made in and out of the kitchen since Philip went to bed. Only one, by Sarah herself to make a cup of tea. Despite a heavy feeling of anxiety, Sarah told herself there would be some rational reason behind it, and the first thing tomorrow she'd arrange for the water board to come round and investigate. Right, I've rotted the drains and I've checked for leaks, and the only other reason it could be pooling like that is condensation, really, said the water board engineer the next day. But even that's a stretch, really. 
unless you've been doing like a lot of hot washes or something. Sarah shook her head. So it's definitely not a leak. No, no way, began the engineer. Two reasons, really. First, there's no pipes under here directly. And second, this is linoleum. It's basically waterproof. It wouldn't seep through that. It would more bulge underneath, if you get me. Sarah nodded. Coincidentally, following the engineer's visit, the pooling in the kitchen stopped. This gave Sarah's rational mind a much-needed boost and made her feel more at ease. Until later that evening, when Philip shouted from the kitchen, once again disturbing her knitting, Nan! Nan! It's happening again! Sarah rushed out of the kitchen, just in time to witness the worktop covered in sugar and tea leaves. A clicking sound drew their attention to the tea dispenser. With each click it fired tea leaves across the counter to the floor. Stop it! Sarah shouted to the inanimate object, but it continued until it was completely empty. Sarah and Philip just looked on in disbelief. A loud crash came from the hallway. It sounded as if the front door had been kicked off its hinges. Then, silence. The pair crept to the doorway leading to the hall and slowly opened the door. The hall light turned on by itself, making both of them gasp aloud and hesitate. Walking out into the hall, the front door was intact and they were unsure what had made that tremendous racket. Then they seen it. A large houseplant, which usually lived just behind the front door, had been pulled from its pot and was sitting halfway up the staircase. Stranger still, the heavy ceramic pot which had contained it was sitting even further up on the staircase landing. Philip slowly took a step up to the second step to investigate what was going on. When the noise of rattling crockery started coming from the kitchen, they moved quickly now, more out of fear than anything else, and headed straight to the kitchen. The cupboard which contained the plates and saucers appeared to be shaking, like there was an energy inside the unit trying to escape. Philip walked forward. He took a deep breath, and opened the cupboard. The rattling stopped. Heavy wall-shaking noises began echoing around the house. As they stood there in silent fear, a cold gust entered the room and circled them. This was enough. The two left through the back door and headed over to Marie's house. Sarah pounded on the door. Oi! shouted Marie through her front window. What's going on? You have to see this, Marie. I don't know what to do. And so Marie joined them and they headed into the kitchen via the back door. So what's meant to be happening? whispered Marie. Slowly, the crockery started rattling again, before more wall-shaking bangs echoing around the house. Marie was stunned. But coming into this with fresh eyes, she still had a rational mindset. Have you checked with the neighbours? He could be hammering shelves or anything. Sarah felt her anxiety halve at this suggestion. Of course, it could just be Mr. M next door. However, when the three knocked at Mrs. M's house, Mrs. M's jaw dropped as she was convinced the noises 
were down to whatever renovations she had assumed the Pritchards were doing. Reluctantly, Sarah, Marie and Philip headed back to number 30. Marie cleaned up the mess and mud from the stairs, and for the next few hours, everything was calm. Philip went up to bed, leaving Sarah and Marie in the living room. It's not right, Marie, said Sarah. None of this is right. There's something here, I just know it. Listen, we're all a bit frayed at the moment, replied Marie. Let's just get some sleep, eh? She rubbed her mum's knee comfortingly. Do you want me to stay over? Sarah, not one for being coddled, shook her head and put on a brave face. Don't be daft, love. It'll all have an explanation, I'm sure. And so, Marie went home. Sarah took a deep breath and tried to relax. She went round doing her routine of turning everything off. And this time, everything felt fine. She walked upstairs and popped into Philip's room to say goodnight. Are you okay, love? She said from the doorway. Philip, however, had his sheet pulled up to his chin and was staring eyes wide at the large chest of drawers in the corner of the room. What's the matter? said a panicked Sarah. Watch, said Philip, nodding at the drawers. Slowly, the heavy chest of drawers began rocking. Sarah knew how heavy that item was. It took Joe all day to get it up the stairs. Get your dressing gown on now, she whispered to Philip, who scrambled out of bed, threw on his gown and ran past his grandmother and down the stairs. Marie's door opened before they even knocked. I've seen you coming up the drive. I take it you're staying here tonight. Please, love, we can't stay there, said a defeated Sarah. And so, Sarah and Philip stayed with Marie, with Sarah and Marie staying up all night, wondering just what and how they would say to Jean and Joe what had happened when they returned. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, 
you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Jean went pale when Sarah finished regaling the events that had taken place and glanced over to her husband. Joe, however, smiled and shook his head. The dust. That's paint that's dried and come loose. The water. Our Phil's a dozy bastard. You should see the state of that kitchen when he makes toast. What about the plant then, or the banging? We checked and it wasn't the neighbours, replied Sarah. Well, who says the plant was even in the hall to begin with? retorted Joe. I'm pretty sure you said it would look better on the landing, he said, nodding towards Jean. I didn't end up moving it though, Joe. It was too heavy. No, you'll have just forgot, that's all. It'll have been put too close to the stair and it's toppled over. Honestly, so what? We have a green-fingered ghost now, do we? Takes a dislike to potted plants. Have you heard yourselves? Joe laughed. Sarah didn't take too kindly to the insinuation she'd blown everything out of proportion. Now you listen to me, Joe Pritchard, she said, leaning forward and pointing her finger. If you're too pig-headed to know when there's something in your own house, then you can't be helped. I'm done with you. Sarah picked herself up and headed out of the door. Jean raced after her, but Sarah ignored her pleas and marched over to Marie's house. Why'd you have to be like that? Jean fumed as she re-entered the living room. Well, because it's all nonsense, love, said Joe, picking up the newspaper. Well, I believe her. She's got no reason to make any of that. A loud noise like someone had dropped a cannonball on the bedroom floor upstairs resounded around the room. Jean froze and stared at Joe, who also stopped moving, trying to not even crinkle his newspaper. It's probably the heating, whispered Joe. Something outside in the hall hit the living room wall with such force a small picture frame swayed on its hook. Bloody kids, shouted Joe, throwing his paper and launching himself out of his chair. But when he got to the hall, no one was there. The kids are outside, whispered Jean, pulling on Joe's sleeve and pointing out the window to where Philip and Diane were throwing a ball to each other. What's the neighbours then, said Joe, flustered but defiant. Jean shook her head. There's no one on this side, love, remember. Joe was so used to living in a terraced house, he forgot this new house only had one adjoining neighbour, and they were on the opposite wall from where the bang was. The next morning, Jean poured Joe a cup of tea. Well, despite everything, I had a great night's sleep last night. Maybe you're right and it's all been blown out of proportion. Joe smiled and nodded. But the trouble was, Joe didn't have a good night's sleep. In fact... Joe had barely slept at all. It started when he heard the landing light switch. The landing light was always on so the kids could go to the toilet safely, so hearing the switch drew Joe's attention. He stared under the crack of the door, where he should have seen light from the landing sliding through. But it was pitch black. Oh, the kids must have turned it off, he thought. So he listened out for the movement of feet, but heard nothing. Then the light came back on, shining under the door. Joe hadn't heard a thing. 
Maybe the kids were really tiptoeing around or the light went back off. Joe was unnerved now, but not as unnerved as he was about to be, as slowly the top cotton sheet from his bedding slid down from his chest. He quickly grabbed it with his left hand and rolled over to face the wall, assuming it was Joan hogging the sheets. He'd done his best to reclaim them onto his side of the bed. Then the blanket began getting pulled again. But this time, the pulling came on the blanket which draped over the side of the bed, between Joe and the wall. It was being pulled by something under the bed. As this dawned on Joe, the landing light came on once more. But thankfully, this time it was joined by the sound of children's feet, the running of water and everything associated with a very human nighttime toilet trip. But none of this did he want to tell the clearly upbeat Jean, not just yet anyway. So he smiled, picked up his cup of tea, and said, I think I'll have a quick smoke in the back garden. Mrs M from next door was outside also, hanging out the washing, and she took no pause to walk straight up to Joe. Did Sarah tell you about everything going on? she said. She did, said Joe, alternating between a swig of tea and a pull on his cigarette. Well, it's no business of mine, but I was mentioning it to my sister, and we've got a friend who's a bit of a medium-like, goes round haunted houses, that type of thing. I could ask him to come round if you want. Normally, Joe would say thanks but no thanks and laugh it off. But after last night, he found himself nodding and saying thank you. Mr. O'Donnell was an academic-looking man. Short ginger hair and round wire-framed glasses. To guess, you would assume he was an art teacher from a local college, as opposed to a hunter of ghosts. He slowly nodded as the Pritchards filled him in on their experiences, steepling his fingers to a point and resting them on his chin. He finally cleared his throat. <clears throat> well... It sounds very much to me like a classic poltergeist manifestation. Jean gripped Joe's arm. And what's one of those? Like a demon or something? Asked Joe. No, no, not at all, smiled O'Donnell. It's more an energy, I suppose. Like a surplus energy rotating around the house, buffering off things, slamming into things. They like to go for photographs, strangely, and throw them around. He glanced around the living room. Not so many in here, though, he smiled. As a medium, it's not really something I can engage with, as there's no, well, there's no sentience, really. So, so that's it, replied a clearly frustrated Joe. Well, I'm sorry, Mr. Pritchard. These things tend to peter themselves out, really. On the plus side, you are witnessing one of nature's rarest phenomena, he said brightly. However, his smile lowered when he seen Joe's frown. Really, Mr. Pritchard, it will all blow over as quickly as it started. He gathered his things up and bid them good night. Although old Donald's time scales would turn out to be accurate, the thing tormenting the Pritchard family was far from finished just yet. Almost in mockery, as the smiling O'Donnell's car pulled away up the street... A loud smashing noise was heard upstairs. On reaching their bedroom, 
as if to show it was not only sentient, but was also listening. The smashed wedding photo of Joe and Jean lay in pieces across the bedroom floor. The anxiousness that Pritchard had felt was now bordering on total, utter panic. The smashing of the wedding picture signalled the start of an upturn in the terror that Pritchard would face. On a daily basis, anything that was hung from a wall would be found launched and broken across the other side of the room. So much so that Jean went about removing anything that she valued, in fear it too would become a projectile for the entity. One evening, as Jean lay on the settee watching TV, with Joe sat on a chair in the same room, the power of what they were dealing with became frighteningly evident. It was around 10pm and Jean had fell asleep during the programme. Come on, love, said Joe from his chair. Time for bed, eh? Jean turned on her back and rubbed her. She sat up like a bolt. Joe! Joe! Joe's eyes were wide and his jaw left open. Inch by inch, something was shoving the settee and Jean along with it up towards the wall. Jean jumped off and ran to her husband, just as the settee slid along the floor and crashed into the wall. What was that? shouted Philip from upstairs. Um, nothing, son, go back to bed, said the panicked Joe. Up until now, they kept the majority of this from the kids. However, that night, the entity's attention would turn to one of the children in the most horrific of ways. Joe moved the settee back to its original position, and Jean, shaking, returned from the kitchen with two large whiskies. They stood and drank in silence. Both glasses were empty within seconds. And again, said Joe, passing his glass to Jean. He took a deep breath, because this was unreal. This was just... Diane screamed from upstairs and as Joe and Jean raced to the hallway, Diane galloped down the stairs to meet them on the bottom step. She was inconsolable. Breathe, darling, said Jean, stroking her hair. Breathe, what's happened? Through tears and panicked breath, Diane explained how she felt her cover being pulled from her bed. And as she looked down, something grabbed her by the ankles and pulled her to the floor. Joe felt the pit of his stomach drop. Not his little girl. This was his house. Listen, Diane. Listen, love. I don't want you to worry, he said, stroking Diane's hair. I'll sort this out and we'll be fine. I don't want you to... Something grabbed Diane by the back of her hair. Joe and Jean were helpless as they watched their 12-year-old daughter get dragged backwards up the flight of stairs her heels hitting against each step as she tried to fight it off before being dropped like a laundry bag at the top of the landing. Joe and Jean decided the only thing they could do now was to call in the church. However, the priest, even on hearing about their terrifying ordeal, wasn't convinced. He did, however, begrudgingly agree to cleanse the house on their behalf. Joe and Jean followed the priest around from room to room as he said prayers and flicked holy water onto the walls. All was quiet. You probably think we're mad, said Joe, as the priest continued. 
The priest smiled and shook his head to try and imply this wasn't an overreaction, even though he thought it was. Continuing to mumble, make the sign of the cross and douse each room in holy water. Finally, they came back to the living room and the priest continued the blessing. And may this home be a place of God, a place of love and a place of God's light. From upstairs, it sounded as if steel hammers pounded on the walls. They all looked up, until movement from the mantelpiece caught their eye. A large ornate candlestick began wobbling. Then it flew across the room and stopped dead, hanging in mid-air in front of the priest's face before dropping to the floor. The priest grabbed his belongings and made for the door. There's evil in this house, shouted the priest. Contact the diocese, he said as he ran down the path throwing everything into his car and speeding off. The next few nights, the Pritchards stayed with family, until Joe and Jean decided they needed to show strength and attempt to reclaim their home from this being. So, leaving children with the family, they returned to spend their first night since the house had been exercised. Surprisingly, sleep came relatively easy to both of them. That is until just after 3am. Joe was awoken by Jean laying facing him, tapping him on the hand. Joe, Joe, wake up. Something's in the room. Too scared to move, they just lay on their side looking at each other, until eventually Joe said he was going to take a look. Following Joe's lead, they both glanced to the foot of their bed, and there... At the foot of the bed stood a six-foot-tall hooded monk in a jet-black robe, the robe flowing in some breeze that neither of them could feel, and not a solitary sound came from the spectre. It observed them for around ten seconds and then disappeared like smoke from a snuffed candle. A few weeks after this, almost authenticating O'Donnell the ghost hunter, the activity just stopped. No rhyme, no reason, no spells or ceremony. The black monk of Pontefract decided it had done enough. With the Pritchards, at least. I end the story of the black monk of Pontefract on that line because apparently the black monk of Pontefract continues to haunt people to this day. However, how much of that you can believe you need to take with a pinch of salt, even when I ask you to leave your disbelief at the door. A quick Google, you will soon find, leads to many photos and alleged videos of the Black Monk of Pontefract, because 30 East Drive is now owned by a film director. That man is Bill Bungay, and he directed the film about the Pritchard's experience, called When the Lights Went Out. It's an excellent watch, and I do suggest all of you take the time to see it. However, when he bought the house outright, it very quickly became something of a tourist attraction for ghost hunting groups. And you can pay into the hundreds of pounds to go and investigate there. I've often found that when money becomes involved, things allegedly become more haunted. And that's more haunted with speech marks either side, of course. 
Still, that shouldn't detract away what the Pritchards did experience all those years ago in Pontefract. So let me know what you think about the Black Monk of Pontefract case. Maybe you've been fortunate enough to go to 30 East Drive. Maybe you've experienced something yourself. Either way, get in touch by emailing thedarkparanormal at hotmail.com. Just before I go, I'll remind you if you wish to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash thedarkparanormal. And until next time, remember when you're discussing the paranormal to give it a chance. Leave your disbelief at the door. And I'll see you next time on The Dark Paranormal.